Good morning. My name is Aaron, and this is my wife, Catherine, and our son, James. Um, and we're uh, here this morning to uh, go through our, our Advent reading. Um, so, uh, we light this candle on the first Sunday of Advent to remind us that we must prefer, prepare ourselves for the coming of the Christ child. It is the candle of hope, the promise of his coming. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 and 6. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has a light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Would you pray with me? On this first Sunday of Advent, we praise you, dear Lord, for the promise that was first made to Abraham, that was proclaimed by the prophets, and that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope you give us, and that it is certain and does not disappoint us. Remind us throughout this Advent season to rest in you and to hope in the hope that you alone give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Big thanks to James there especially. Grateful for Aaron and Catherine and their beautiful baby. We will be celebrating these Advent readings throughout the month of December. And as Aaron just noted, this first Sunday is the candle and the Sunday of hope. Mm. What a good word at the beginning of this Christmas season. I wonder if you would open your Bible with me to Psalm 98. Right in the center of your Bible is the Psalms. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you're, uh, you're always welcome to grab one at the exits or the information table. You can take that as our gift to you. But as you open up your scriptures right now, be it in the paper Bible like mine or on the phone, whatever, uh, let me ask you this question. What's your favorite Christmas carol? Would you shout out loud for a little bit? Hark the Herald, what else? A whole, not everyone at once. Okay, I asked for it, and then you give it to me. Thank you so much. A Holy Night, keep going, keep going. A Holy Night, Hark the Herald, Away in the Manger, Silent Night. Joy of the World, Mary you know. So many good songs, right? Oh, don't you love this season? I love this season with all the music in this season and um, the joy of the music to get us in the mood for, for Christmas. And so what we're going to do here over the next uh, five Sundays, today and then all the way through December, as we do our Advent readings, we will look into the story, of course, of Christmas, but as we look into the story of Christmas, well, we're going to do something a little bit different though this year. This is called Songs of the Season, this new sermon series, and we'll look each week at a different famous Christmas carol that we particularly love and seek to understand some of the stories, some of the theology, some of the scripture behind those songs that inspire us so much at this season. So we probably won't include Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Laid an Egg. Yeah, that'll be included. Uh, the songs that we've selected are these. 
O holy night, O come all ye faithful, O come, O come Emmanuel, God rest ye merry gentlemen, and today is joy to the world. So if we didn't select your favorite, I'm sorry. We'll do it another year maybe. <laughs> but as you heard already, the reading that we focused on here though this morning, that first candle is the candle of hope. And to me, at the start of December, what I feel is a mix of, of hope kindled together with joy. Because what I long for the most at Christmas time is an experience of joy on Christmas morning with my family. Amen. Like, I want to see my kids' smiles. I deeply look forward to that. I pine for that. And the joy of gathering together with friends or family, whoever it may be, Christmas evening, having guests over, enjoying serving them and them serving us, vice versa, just hoping for memories built together and joy on faces. I have this pining desire that Christmas Eve would be something fresh each year, which is difficult to make it fresh each year since it's really the same message every year. But I deeply desire Christmas Eve to be a beautiful and joyous celebration of the light of the world coming into the world and the joy of the world in what is otherwise so often a joy-sucking world. Is anyone with me? Amen. Like, we live in a joy-sucking world. And so what I long for at Christmas, what I really hope for at Christmas is the experience of joy with you and with family, and most of all with Christ, the newborn King. And yet it seems to me that this, this joy that we so much desire at this season is like at the same time, it's simultaneously the greatest desire and it's also the most elusive desire of the season. Have, have you noticed that? Joy is the greatest desire of this season, but it's also simultaneously, it's like the most elusive experience. And there's lots of different reasons for that. We'll talk about a few of them here in a few minutes. But I'm naive enough to believe that whatever experiences you bring into December, joy can be yours this Christmas. I may be simple enough in my faith to believe that whatever losses you are wrestling with this December, joy can still be yours this Christmas. The song Joy to the World really helps me on this and I hope it does for you as well. It's a hymn that wasn't written in the Christmas season. In fact, it's a hymn, it's a Christmas carol that wasn't even written for the Christmas season. The writer of the hymn wasn't reflecting upon Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the angels as he wrote this Christmas carol, and he certainly was not in the midst of what you would call a happy season when he wrote Joy to the World. You probably know the name Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts is one of the world's most prolific songwriters. 
He was born in the late 1600s and he wrote over 600 psalms, excuse me, over 600 hymns and songs. Many of them are in contemporary hymn books and he wrote the song Joy to the World along with many, many other songs. And when he wrote it, he was not in a happy season, not by any means. He wrote it not on the basis of the Christmas narratives that we find in Matthew or Luke or John, but he wrote it on the basis of Psalm 98. Listen now. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord a new song. I wonder what new song you want sung this Christmas. What you want resonating in your heart this Christmas. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. There is no voice, there is no place where the salvation of our God does not ring out. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. That is the psalm that inspired those beautiful words that we sing each Christmas season, joy to the world. Let me tell you a little bit about Isaac Watts' story. Again, he was born in late 1600s, England, and he's the son of a pastor. His, pastor, his dad is kind of a, a nonconformist, and uh, he's not a pastor with the Church of England of the day, which is kind of unique in England because that's the national church. He's the pastor of an independent chapel in downtown London, kind of a Bible church, if you will. And his son Isaac has a deep zest for the things of God. From a very young age, he is in love well with the church. He's in love with God. He writes various theological reflections about God. He is a brilliant and precocious young man. But one thing he does not love is church music, okay? Maybe men, there's some men in the room who might agree, right? Like there's a lot of guys who just don't resonate well with church music for whatever reason. And Isaac Watts, what was kind of like that as well. He hated church music. And he would grumble and he'd complain to, to his pastor dad about the church music. And his pastor dad does what any good dad does. He says to Isaac, stop complaining and do something about it. And so Isaac does. He stops complaining and he starts writing new music to a different melody with different instruments, a different tune. And he starts to write and he starts to write and he really gets into writing church music and theological reflections and he becomes fairly well known. And in his zest for the Lord at the age of 26, he's invited, he's called to be a pastor of another church in downtown London. And he says yes. 
And as he says yes to, to this call, he takes over the other's church and he continues writing and his words, his poems and his songs begin to extend and fan out across England. And he starts to develop some renown and people start to follow him, but the Church of England hates him. And the Church of England says, no, you're not accepted here and you will not write any music for the standard Church of England and you'll have to do your own thing, and we think you're wrong. And other people even call him a heretic. But he's kind of this nonconformist, and he doesn't really care. He keeps on writing. He's like uh, Phil Wickham or Maverick City Music. He's making his own new song to, to the Lord, and he doesn't really care well, what people are saying about him. And as, as his music and his theological writings fan out across England, though, there's a woman named Elizabeth Singer who's particularly impressed well, with his words, so much so that in reading his words, she decides to write a letter to Isaac Watts and say, will you marry me? And Isaac Watts is really committed to his work. And uh, he does want a companion for, for life, but he's really committed to his work. And uh, she seems to indicate that she would help him with his ministry. And so he writes back to her and he says, yes. True story. And she comes from the country of England, takes the next caravan down to London. And as she meets with Isaac Watts, she has a short visit with him and then she leaves. And she was asked later why she broke off her short engagement with Isaac Watts, and she explained, he was only five feet tall, with a shallow face and a hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, in a death-like color. And she rejected him. And he was so heartbroken that he swore off companionship for good. And at age 26, he decided, I'll be a single man who gives myself fully to the work of the Lord. And he stayed that way for the next 40 years. And into the midst of that rejection from the Church of England, from people calling him a heretic, and from Elizabeth Singer, who he thought was going to be his wife, he found deep friendship with Jesus. He came to know Jesus not just as his Lord, not just as his savior who forgives him, but as his friend who loves him. And into that context, he wrote these words. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven, and heaven, and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ, while fields and floods and rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. 
Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. Can you hear it? And wonders and wonders and wonders of his love. It's one of my favorite tracks. Such a glorious Christmas song that wasn't even written for Christmas. Isn't it crazy? Just the most beautiful Christmas song, and I'm so glad that we sing it at Christmas, but he wasn't thinking of the angels and Jesus and Joseph and Mary. He was thinking about the companionship that he had learned from Jesus and the wonders of God's love and shouting with creation to the joy of the Lord, which he writes about on the basis, again, here of Psalm 98. Look at verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. So that's what he does. He sings to the Lord a new song. And then he goes on, verse 4. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Do you hear the echoes of joy to the world there in Psalm 98? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Look further down here, verse 7. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then he lists out these various elements of creation. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. These are the words of King David. The seas, the rivers, the mountains. And so Isaac Watts takes that and he says the, these words. White, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains. What do they do? Repeat the sounding joy of the Lord. Repeat the sounding joy of the Lord. So he recognizes, though, this beauty that's all around us in creation. And I know I just noted that this world is kind of ugly, and at times it's a joy-sucking world, but let me just say there's far more beauty in this world than there is ugly in this world. Far more beauty. You just got to look for it. There's far more beauty in this world than joy-sucking ugly in this world. God has created this world, and he did a fantastic, glorious, amazing job. And if you watch the sunrise, if you watch the sunset, if you let your eyes drift up to the heavens and look at the stars in the sky, if you look at people and how beautiful people are as made in the image and likeness of God and realize that you don't look at any mere mortal, all of them are made in the image and likeness of God, then you'll begin to sing to the beauties of God's creation. This is what we're invited into. I've been looking at the stars a lot lately. And our Milky Way galaxy is just incredible. Look at this picture up here. 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone, with a B. Our sun is just one star. 100 billion in that. And you know how many of those there exist? You know how many? 200 billion! Give or take a few. 200 billion galaxies in just this one universe that God has created. Talk about monopoly money. Like, how do you even fathom that? 
And God created all of that. He spoke and all of that leapt into existence. Why? It speaks of his glory. Sing for joy to the Lord, all the earth. It speaks of his glory. And then out of all that, he decided to make one relatively insignificant but very special planet called Earth that is populated with all this wonderful life and rocks, hills, and plains, floods, and fields, and mountains, and valleys, and seas, and rivers, and all of that that clap their hands to, to God, and then he chose to create you and me. What a glorious artist he is. It seems to me the only question that really remains is, will we join in with creation singing out in praise to God? Okay, this is the main point of this sermon. This is what you got to take home. If you take nothing else home from Psalm 98 or from Joy to the World, you must take this home with you. Creation shouts for joy to God. Let's join in. Okay, let's join in with all of creation, the rivers, the fields, the sunset, all of it shouts with glorious joy to God. It's ours to choose to join in or not. You know, the older I get, the more convinced I am that I will either grumble about life circumstances or I'll be grateful in the midst of light's circumstances. I'll grumble about the hard things, or I'll find something in the midst of the hard things to be grateful for. At least for me, I can't speak for you. I will get bitter or better. Now, I, I'm not shaming anyone in the room by saying that. You might have a little bit more of a melancholy disposition, and that's okay. God gives us our personalities. He gives us our temperament types, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If I was shaming you, I'd be shaming myself. I have a streak of melancholy in me. It's not my primary disposition, but I certainly have a streak of it. Just ask my wife. Okay, I'm not shaming anyone with that. There's a lot of beauty that comes out of that nor am I making light of anyone's suffering today. And the last thing I would do is make light of the reality that many of us experience right now, which is missing someone deeply at the Christmas season. I feel that too. I miss people deeply at this time of year, just like many of you do. But I've just noticed the older I get that I can either grumble about those circumstances or I can find something to be grateful in the midst of those circumstances. And that is my choice. Because the lot is difficult for all of us. It's fascinating to me that Jesus experienced very unhappy circumstances. Intense rejection. He was totally misunderstood by people on a regular basis, a lot of loneliness and isolation. His best friends abandoned him in his time of greatest need, and then great physical suffering too. He experienced intense, unhappy experiences. And yet at the same time, 
In the other hand, in one hand was some unhappy experiences. In the other hand, he retained joy. And I think the way that he retained joy was the knowledge that Isaac Watts eventually apprehended himself the wonders of God's love. That God's love still remains wonderful for me in whatever circumstances I might go through, and God's name is constant even if life's circumstances seem so unconstant. God's name is good no matter what I might be going through. Yahweh is Yahweh. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and I can trust in him. I can count on him when it seems like I can count on nothing else in this world. And when you hold on to that, you can have lousy circumstances and still retain a measure of joy in the goodness of God. And I think that's what God would have us do this Christmas season as well. This is why joy was so central to Jesus in his mission, because he had such an intimate relationship with his Father, and he knew the wonders of the Father's love. John 15 and John 16 are part of what are called the Olivet Discourse, in which Jesus is giving his final messages to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And he knows what's about to come for him, the, the cross, and he's about to be about betrayed by Judas and be left by, by all his closest friends. And yet he says this to his disciples, John 15, 11, I've told you all of these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. In the midst of unhappiness, your joy may be complete, Jesus says. Or, John 16, 24, he says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Okay, he says, ask in my name. That's not saying in Jesus' name at the end of your, at the end of your prayer. You can do that, but that's not the point. Ask in my name is, Live your life and think your thoughts around the orbit that is Jesus. Okay, offer your prayers in the spirit of Jesus. May he be the priority, the priority, the first thing in your prayer. Say God first in everything, and if that's your prayer, God first in everything, then ask in my name and it'll be given to you and your joy will be complete. Okay, this is what's offered to us in the midst of subpar circumstances. Or you think of the Apostle Paul writing from a jail cell in Rome to another church in Philippi, and what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. I say to you again, rejoice. Find something in the midst of whatever circumstances well we might be in to rejoice in the Lord always, he says again, rejoice. And King David, likewise here, verses five and six in Psalm 98, make music to the Lord with a harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of a ram's horn, or with electric guitars and drums and keyboards, whatever, however you do it, make music to the Lord, shout for joy before the Lord, the King of glory. And friends, that's what the song, Joy to the World, Joy, joy to the World, and that's what Psalm 98 is all about. It's choosing to rejoice in God even when, like Isaac Watts was, we may not be in the most happy of circumstances. Now, I wonder what it is that hinders joy for you in December. Let's just talk for a moment about a few of the things that get in the way. 
For some of us, the thing that hinders joy in December is a mix of commercialism and consumerism and comparison. And they're all mixed together, aren't they? Commercialism, consumerism, and comparison. They're, they're all mixed together. We end up comparing our lives to someone else's, and that's no good. That is the thief of joy. For others, it's like chaotic December schedules that we have these plans to have time for reflection with family, but we have event after event after event, and it just feels like there's no time to reflect and to enjoy the beauty of this season. For others, it's just crazy travel schedules that you have to leave on Christmas Day or a few days before Christmas, and it's just going to be nuts. For others, well, we have this vision in our mind of what the perfect Christmas well will look like, and guess what? We never get a perfect Christmas. That vision is always popped because included in that is real people like us. And I would say probably the primary thing that hinders joy at Christmas is something that we all share together, and it's family dysfunction. If, if you don't have family dysfunction, um, you're the first one I've met. We all have it. We all have it. Because we're all in process, and so all of our families are in process. And we bring junk to the table, and so other people in our families bring junk to the table. So inevitably, we're going to have some family dysfunction. And that can hinder our experience of joy at Christmas. And so I guess my question here is, like, what do you do to prepare room for joy in the midst of those realities, in the midst of those hindrances that can get in the way of your experience of Christmas this season? I want to share with you a story of a friend of mine who, along with her husband, prepared her heart and prepared their house for joy on Christmas at a time that they really were not excited at all. And um, here's her story. I was asked to host a family Christmas of 75 people, which by itself will prevent joy. <laughs> I, I mean, the right answer when you're asked that is no. But some reason she said yes. Because of a lot of trauma, this family has the addicted, the despondent, the depressed, the down and out, and the bitter. Obviously, this makes for some challenging interactions, and there's usually stressful drama of some sort. Before people came, my husband and I, here's what we did. We went through every room in our house, and we prayed in the words of the Lord's Prayer, God's kingdom come. We prayed burdens would be lifted. We prayed demonic activity would be silenced. And God's love and grace and mercy would be present. Last Christmas, there was no family drama. And several people commented on the peace and joy they felt at our house. I was stunned and I was convinced of the power and the beauty of this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's how one family, that's how one couple chose to pray for joy over their hearts, over all the rooms of their house, and over their family Christmas gathering. 
And so again, my question for you is, how will you prepare room in your heart, room in your December, for Christ to be the centerpiece of this month? Maybe you need to do something like this friend did, that you anticipate a family gathering that includes some family dysfunction, and you pray in a way that you haven't prayed in the past. Perhaps you pray against demonic activity. Perhaps you pray against tension. Perhaps you pray against family strife, and you ask that God would make you a reconciler, a person of peace in your home at Christmas. Maybe it's that you look over your December schedule and you say, this is too crazy. I need to remove some things off my schedule so that Christ can be the centerpiece of this month. Maybe it's beginning to pray, what is it going to look like on Christmas Day when you gather around the dinner table? And how will Jesus Christ be the centerpiece of all that you do together as a family that day? Maybe it's asking, like, how do I give this year? How do I receive this year? How do I spend this year in a way that would honor Christ my King? Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. Say this with me. Let every heart prepare him room. Joy of the World wasn't written as a Christmas carol, but I'm so glad it is. I'm so glad we sing it, because this, more than anything, is what I need each and every December. This is what I need right now. I don't know about you. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, let this heart, let your hearts prepare him room. Father in heaven, that's what we want. We really want an experience of your joy this Christmas. Even as our life circumstances are not what we would want them to be, and we struggle with loss and the experience of unhappiness because of different things in our lives, we want your joy to be at the center of our family gatherings this December. We desire to have a more Christ-oriented Christmas where we would have time to reflect upon the goodness of God to each of us. And we pray, God, that you give us courage to find things to be grateful for. Some of us are turned into grumblers. And we don't want to go there. We don't want to get bitter. Father, would you give us your grace that we could be grateful. that we could see the beauty of your world around us and we could begin along with all creation to repeat the sounding joy. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this great season. 
We pray that you'd make it special for each of us. Thank you for receiving our prayers. Amen.